Hello, you're listening to uh, On Israel in Al Monitor. I'm Ben Kaspid from Tel Aviv. Israel's border with Lebanon has been more uh, or less peaceful for the past 15 years. Is this about to change? Is Israel's northern front on the verge of uh, blowing up at this critical timing for all sides? Is Hezbollah changing its policy? And has the deterrence that Israel achieved on, uh, in the Second Lebanon War in 2006 been eroded? Will history repeat itself with a new, inexperienced prime minister being dragged into a vicious all-out war with Hezbollah and probably with Iran, exactly like happened uh, what happened to Ehud Olmert uh, on uh, 2006? No one has uh, conclusive answers to these questions, which are now uh, keeping awake decision makers in various capitals, Jerusalem, Beirut, Washington, Tehran, and elsewhere. A few days ago, Three Katyusha rockets were fired from southern Lebanon into northern Israel, probably by rogue Palestinian groups and without Hezbollah's advanced knowledge. Israel were retaliated with heavy shelling and hours later with a, with a highly unusual airstrike on targets in southern Lebanon. Neither side uh, sustained casualties, but Hezbollah responded on Friday morning with a barrage of 19 Katyusha rockets fired on purpose at the uninhabited areas in northern Israel. As this podcast is being recorded, Israel's new leadership is debating how to proceed. Should it contain the incident and mark new red lines drawn by Prime Minister Naftali Bennett? There is widespread agreement among experts here that we're not headed for an escalation with Hezbollah, but when it comes to Lebanon, Hezbollah, and Israel, such definitive assessments are risky. This is all happening in a crucial crossroads. Iran, under its new president, is having to, to decide whether to return to negotiations on nuclear agreement with the world powers. The United States has to decide uh, where it's going on Iran. And Israel is debating whether to continue saber rattling or move ahead with the so far successful diplomatic campaign it launched against Iran following the Mercer Street attack. Our guest today is called among uh, senior uh, intelligence officials in Israel, Mr. Iran, one of the most knowledgeable experts on the Israeli-Iran conflict. He has over 20 years of experience in military intelligence collection and analysis. Reserve Major Danny Citronowitz was uh, in charge of research on Iran and its nuclear ambitions and also served as the representative of Israeli military intelligence at the Israeli embassy in Washington. He is currently a senior fellow at the Abba Ibn Institute of the uh, Interdisciplinary Center and a blogger on Iran, Hezbollah, and geopolitics for the Times of Israel. Major Danny Citronowitz will be with us right after this short break. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East. And if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. 
If you haven't done so already, visit us at lmonitor.com. Check out our articles and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon Elmonitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our Elmonitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform on Israel with Ben Caspit and on the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Now I'm happy to, to say hello to a uh, major reserve, Danny Citrinowitz. Uh, thank you for joining us, Danny, here in, uh, on Israel in Al Monitor. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. All right, let's uh, start. We have a lot of things to, to talk about because uh, uh, the Israeli northern front is getting uh, hotter. And let's start with the latest uh, developments. Uh, what is your assessment of uh, Hezbollah's response to the Israeli Air Force attack on southern Lebanon? 19 rockets are a heavy barrage, even though uh, they were uh, not directed at uh, populated areas. Is Hezbollah adopting a new policy? And is it still deterred by Israel, like a, a spokespersons from the IDF said uh, this weekend, or vice versa? Or is Israel deterred by Hezbollah? And what you, uh, would, you think, would you do if you were co uh, calling the shots for Israel? <laughs> and first, I think that Hezbollah is all about what we call uh, the deterrence equation. For Hezbollah, it's extremely important to preserve the deterrence uh, with the state of Israel. And why it's so important, especially these days, because Hezbollah is really annoyed from the fact that uh, Israel will exploit the political uh, uh, instability in Lebanon and actually attack or continue attacking in Lebanon. And uh, specifically, I'm meaning uh, what the recent uh, statement made by Israeli uh, seniors talking about preemptive strike in, uh, in Lebanon against Hezbollah accurate missile uh, facilities. So I think for Hezbollah is very annoyed from the fact that the recent air attack in Israel will become a slippery slope, meaning that in the future, Israel will continue attacking uh, or using airstrikes in Lebanon. This is something that Hezbollah really cannot accept. That's why he really wanted to uh, make Israel understand that there is a price to pay if Israel will continue attacking Lebanon. Now, for your question regarding who is deterred, I think both sides are, are deterred, and that's important thing to say. Actually, I it's think a mutual deterrence. Exactly. I think that uh, you know people are asking why from 2006 the border is so calm. I think because of the mutual deterrence. I think you know in the uh, in the Cold War there was a phrase in MAD, mutual assured destruction, uh, actually uh, meaning that Russia, the Soviet Union, and the U.S. couldn't uh, open uh, a war between them because of the fact that they are both deterred because of the nuclear capability. So I think the same notion is really happening right now between Israel and Hezbollah on the conventional level. I think both sides really understand that uh, opening a war is, uh, it will cost, uh, it will have tremendous effects. And uh, Israel, of course, ha will have the upper hand, but Hezbollah can cause or can inflict a lot of damage to Israel. So in that sense, I think that both sides understand that. Now, uh, looking into the future, the question is, uh, of course, what can be done? 
I think that the, the answer to uh, weakening to weaken Hezbollah is not is not coming from the uh, military spectrum, meaning that because this war I don't want to say futile, but I think that war is uh, is costly. I think that Israel can exploit the recent de political developments in Lebanon, and I think that what we saw after the missile being shot, the Druze attacking Hezbollah. A, a military man that really, really turned back for, or on the way to shooting the missile. I think that's an important indication that the constitution in, in, Le in Lebanon, especially the political one, opened uh, the way to really rethink and how we can exploit the weak, the weakened uh, status of Hezbollah and uh, actually working with the international community, finding ways to disconnect Hezbollah from the state of Lebanon. Okay, allow me asking a follow-up question on this. We saw very interesting and I think unprecedented pictures after the launching of these Katyusha rockets by Hezbollah activists during the weekend, local Druze residents, I think from Hatzbaya or many other places from Southern Lebanon, attacked the Hezbollah men and humiliated them. And I think they even... Uh, they, they, they took them and they, they took the, the, launch, uh, the launcher itself. And uh, maybe it can show us that Hezbollah's uh, position or situation in Southern Lebanon, which is supposed to be its base, is not so uh, solid as we thought. I totally agree with what, what you're saying. I think that uh, again, Hezbollah is very strong military. Uh, we have to admit that. We have you know, in his arsenal, he has uh, hundreds of thousands of rockets. He has uh, hundreds of accurate missiles. He has so many capabilities. But politically, he is a in a dire situation. Uh, and I think that also correlates to what you mentioned. I think looking back at what Hezbollah really tried to achieve in Lebanon is actually controlling the country uh, without actually controlling, meaning that just making sure behind the scenes that the state of Lebanon will not threat um, uh, Hezbollah. And I think that this is something that is really being shaken right now because this structure that, his, that Hezbollah worked so hard to build actually is really under, uh, being undermined by those protests in Lebanon. So I think it, it's really paved the way to, some, uh, to think on other uh, approach to the Lebanese problem. For example, Make see how you can gather those who are against Hezbollah. In, in, we saw the Druze, or for the Christian, the Sunnis, and even shared elements within Lebanon, and to really think how and clear how you can use this court situation in order to uh, put a lot of pressure on the uh, on Hezbollah itself. Even more than that, we have the Lebanese problem is not only an Israeli one. We have to work with countries like France, like the USA, making sure on two, or making sure that a they are not supportive of the puppet government of Najib Bikati. This is really an interest of, of Hezbollah to build this kind of government, to return back to the old structure that he worked so hard to build. That's one important thing. And, and B, making sure that every aid to the, to the Lebanon government will come only after it will disconnect its relations to Hezbollah. And I think that in, if in the past mentioning that was really science fiction, Today, and we see these events in uh, the Druze attacking Hezbollah, who thought about that? I think it really opened the way to a new approach that we can exploit together with the international community to weaken Hezbollah. 
אוקיי, okay, let's move uh, maybe to uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, is not prime minister anymore, but uh, who was uh, the standard bearer of the struggle against Iran over the past decade? What legacy did he leave behind for Naftali Bennett uh, in this regard, in your opinion? I think that uh, we just need to look at the numbers, first and foremost. I think in 2009, when Benjamin Netanyahu entered, entered office as the prime minister of the state of Israel, Iran enriched uranium with IL-1, uh, first-generation uh, centrifuges. It enriched only for a low enrichment capabilities percentage. It, has a, it had a very limited stockpile of enriched uranium. And looking today, of course, uh, Iran nuclear, uh, nuclear program is actually a monster in a way, meaning that the enriching with the IL-2 capabilities, and it's really a game changer in the way they can enrich uranium. Then reaching to a higher level, of course, and up to 60%. And of course, they're also do, doing things like um, uh, building or, uh, or producing what we call uranium metal, that it actually, we thought that they will never do, but they broke the barrier and they're doing that as well. And this is something that is very severe and serious. So just taking those figures, you can understand that the difference uh, between 2021 and, and 2009. And I'll yes. take it even, even further. I'll say what I think were the strategic mistakes that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu did in relating to Iran. I think first and foremost, he thought that the maximum pressure campaign will force Iran to choose between its nuclear program and the survival of the regime. Unfortunately, It didn't happen because for Iran, the, the, uh, the survival of the regime depended on the nuclear program, meaning that they knew if they will forego the nuclear program, they will seem as very weak in the eyes of their own population. The second problem that Benjamin Netanyahu had is the fact that he didn't understand the importance of the JCPOA. And instead of working together with the P5 plus one, making sure that the, the agreement will be better and will uh, meet Israeli demands, he actually disconnect between, uh, or uh, he, he thought that the best way is not working with those countries. And unfortunately, we saw uh, the fact that it it's caused a major problem. And actually, Israel had to have, uh, was in front of a, an agreement that wasn't uh, according to in, its interest. Even more than that, and I'll take it even further, I think there was a, a major problem in the fact that probably Netanyahu thought that there were some activities that Mossad or other agencies can take that actually will push back the Iranian nuclear program. As, as, but unfortunately, as we saw in recent years, those activities maybe caused some problem, but at the end of the day, the Iranians were able to overcome those problems. And I think that the, the Iranians learned a lot. They have... They have ability to overcome and to rebuild their capabilities. So in that sense, those activities were probably were important, but they didn't achieve the relevant um, goal. So in that sense, not supporting the JCPOA, thinking that the maximum pressure campaign will bring Iran for some sort of a decision point, and thinking that Mossad activity in Iran will change everything. I think those were three pillars that Benjamin Netanyahu actually mistaken with, And uh, that's why uh, those are part of the reason that we see that the program today is highly advanced and the Iranians are really advancing in their enrichment capabilities. 
I wrote and I reported in a few of my columns uh, in Al Monitor and in, in, in Mariv also that he was warned, and Netanyahu was warned by uh, the professionals, guys like you, and uh, even generals from uh, the military intel intelligence and Mossad, that his, his, his gamble is too risky. He's putting uh, all his jetons on uh, Donald Trump, the president. And by the way, you, you did not mention it. He also hoped that uh, the Trump will, uh, will strike military, uh, the nuclear uh, infrastructure in Iran. So all these hopes uh, did not fulfill. And do, do you know that, uh, that uh, the professional's uh, opinion was not as uh, the same as, uh, as Netanyahu's? I, look, I'm, when, when I was in, uh, in, my, in my service, and I escorted the, the negotiation. I was the head of uh, Iranian nuclear section in the Israeli defense intelligence. And, I, and actually, I remember that during the discussions, and uh, the professionals said that, and even more than that, I think even uh, um, uh, General Eisenkart and other seniors from the military itself were supportive of the agreement because of the fact that this agreement really allowed the IDF to focus on the more imminent threats, like Hezbollah, like Hamas, and actually save a lot of money uh, because of the preparation to, uh, for something that will happen in Iran. So I think in that sense, he was warned, but I think uh, for him, it was important to preserve Iran as a threat, not only for security issues, but probably for political issues or pol political means. That's why I think that in the end of the day, and uh, looking at, and uh, we're looking in hindsight on, on uh, Benjamin Netanyahu policy towards Iran, we can see a, a lot of strategic uh, uh, problems, a lot of strategic mistakes that at, at the end of the day may cause three main things. A, Iranians are running in the enrichment. We see that all over. That's one important, one problem. B, is the fact that actually Israel is considered by the international community as a player that really tried to undermine the agreement and to push US outside of the agreement. And that will have a severe effect even for the future. And C, I think that it's really caused a lot, the fact that US exit the agreement caused of course uh, problems in the enrichment, but also not a lot, not a lot of experts talking about the political implication of that meaning that actually the fact that the JCPOA was actually canceled really weakened those in Iran, those moderates in Iran that really want to see a change to Iran's policy in the region and in the nuclear issues. So all of these things happened because Israel and Trump administration uh, got out or Israel pushed Trump administration to go out from the agreement, something that we see the, the implication of that today. Now, Naftali Bennett is the Israel's prime minister. He's supposedly more hawkish than Netanyahu, but uh, he's going to, uh, to the White House uh, in a few weeks. What do you think he should ask uh, of President Biden? What should he, uh, his goal be on the Iran issue? I think that uh, before we're talking about Iran, I think Bennett, Prime Minister Bennett needs to think hard and clear what he's going to say to President Biden regarding China. I think the most important thing, and actually it's also connected to Iran, because we have to remember, the, this current US administration has bigger fish to fry than Iran, and I really mean China. China is the most important, most imminent threat to, uh, to, uh, to the US in their own views. 
So I think even before we're getting into the Iran issue, I think that we need to think how clear on our China's policy and how we can mitigate between China and the uh, US in a way, because I think this is something that will be the first point that the administration will raise during the discussion with Prime Minister Bennett. So Now, maybe, we'll, maybe President Biden will try to trade with, uh, with, uh, with uh, Naftali Bennett what President Obama tried to do with the Palestinian issue. Now the Palestinian issue is less relevant because this kind of coalition in Israel, uh, it's impossible to do anything uh, uh, with substance with the Palestinians. But maybe Biden will tell him, listen, you'll, you'll work with me on the Chinese issue and I'll help you, help you uh, on the Iranian uh, issue? Uh, maybe, but I think that uh, the, the, this administration has some sort of a clear view towards Iran. And I think that we have to remember that. Now you ask me about the do's and the don'ts and, or what uh, Prime Minister Bennett needs to do. I think that, let's start with the don'ts. I think that coming to the uh, US president and present him files on President Raisi or our Iran, how Iran is advancing in its nuclear uh, program, it's futile, it's worthless. The American uh, intelligence community knows that very well. And it doesn't change, it will not change Iran, a uh, US policy towards Iran. That really, in, in a nutshell, the US is really want to focus, like we said, on bigger enemies like, the, like China. So for them, returning back to JCPO is important uh, piece of the puzzle. We see uh, US withdrawing from Afghanistan, we see them probably withdrawing from Iraq. And that's extremely important to understand that the US has, the priorities has changed. So I think that Prime Minister Bennett needs to come with a positive attitude toward Iran, meaning that he needs to say to President Biden, I will support or will build a team even behind the scene that will try to see how we can uh, return back to JCPOA and maybe make, make, some, make some amendments uh, that will uh, benefit both countries in the JCPOA. And why it's so important? Because if there will be an agreement, probably Israel will want some sort of compensation. So you will be in a better place to demand some, such a compensation if you will help the US administration turning back to JCPOA. Now it's impo even important that uh, uh, the situation will become even more important when there won't be a return to JCPOA. I think Israel needs to think hard and clear how we can rebuild some sort of international coalition, of course together led by the, the US administration to really put some pressure, a lot of pressure on the current Iranian administration. Now, your ability to do so is only if you'll be seen as someone that is coming in a cooperative way than trying to help the US administration and not undermining their ability. Because in the eyes of the P5 plus one, and including Biden's uh, probably uh, administration, Israel seemed as a role player, someone that really tried to undermine the, the agreement between Iran and the P5 plus one. That's why Israel has to change its strategy, come out with a positive way, building some sort of a, a, a team, building teams that will work in order to find ways, maybe to tend to justify or to build some sort of a, a new coalition uh, to put a lot of pressure on Iran and not coming in a negative way or declaring those um, statements saying that Israel can, can act uh, uh, separately in order to defend its people. I think it's worthless. I think it's just causing a lot of friction between us and the, and the current administration in Washington. Something about, you know, Lebanon vis-a-vis -vis Iran, uh, because there is a talk about Hezbollah calling in Iran to save Lebanon from collapse. 
and thereby enabling it uh, to assume control of uh, of the country do you do you share this view uh, no I don't share this view and I think we have to turn back to the relations between Iran and Lebanon and how Iran sees Hezbollah and how Hezbollah see Iran itself and that, uh, by saying that I mean that Hezbollah doesn't want to take over Lebanon he wants to control behind the scene that's extremely important he doesn't want to lose his Lebanese posture and for Iran it's also very important because Iran knows that if Hezbollah will have to run Lebanon there won't be any foreign aid there'll be a lot of problems between uh, uh, the Druze the Sunnis and Shiites and so and so forth so for Iran and Hezbollah maybe it's the last priority for them the most important thing is returning back to the political structure that Hezbollah built in the last maybe 20 years meaning that he's controlling behind the scene the government he's making sure that nobody is threatening his uh, military uh, might and so forth so I think that saying that uh, the, the, there is a uh, uh, or Hezbollah and Iran wants to explore the current situation and take over Lebanon I think that it's the, it's the wrong thing to say I want to remind uh, on, uh, one other thing related to Iran and Hezbollah why is Hezbollah so important for Iran for probably two main reasons one stronghold in Lebanon and second making sure that Hezbollah is really able to deter Israel from attacking in, in uh, attacking Iran so I think that pushing Hezbollah to run the daily lives of Lebanese would be the wrong thing to do not only in the eyes of Hezbollah but also in the eyes of, of Iran that's why I think that for them they are not going to take over Lebanon and if they're going to do so I think it would be a grave mistake by them and Israel can exploit that as well Uh, okay uh, is there I want to ask you uh, before uh, finishing um, is there a really any realistic way to delay the Iranian nuclear project through diplomatic pressure and coalition building after all the Chinese and Russians will not go along with such moves and the Europeans cannot be trusted to go all the way against Iran either so what what actually can Israel do and is the military option still re- relevant? That's a great question. I think that um, let's let's be honest with ourselves. There is a fatigue in the international community regarding Iran. And we see that from China and Russia bypassing the sanction regime. We see that from statement being uh, uh, from statement from leaders in uh, very prominent European countries. And I think that uh, all of the countries were hoping for the JCPOA will allow them to focus on other more important issue returning back now to the uh, to the maximum pressure campaign together with China and Russia seems uh, I think there is a low probability for that I think what uh, we need to do as Israel as like I mentioned before is really try to work even today working together with the p5 plus one especially with the US administration to think how we can you find some ways that w- in the end of the day will pressure in Iran in such way that it will turn back to the negotiating table. Now, again, we have to be honest and say that the chances of doing that are uh, uh, not that high, and the chances of returning back to the maximum pressure campaign uh, that was in the, uh, between 2008-2012, the chances for that also are quite slim, but we have to push because we don't have any other option. I think one other important thing that we need to do is making sure that there is some sort of a deadline for the Vienna House. 
And why it's so important? Because we could find ourselves as Israel in a situation that the, the, the negotiation will continue on and on and on. And China and Russia will help Iran bypass the sanctions and Iran will push forward on the Iranian track, uh, Iranian enrichment track. So I think for that, Israel needs to work also with the US making sure there'll be some sort of a deadline and build a coalition. Now regarding the military option, again, there is a, so many problems with that. First, let's talk a little bit about Iran's uh, capabilities. In 2009, 10, 11, they didn't have the S-300 uh, system. They didn't have their own um, surface-to-air missile that are uh, highly advanced. So in that sense, Iran really uh, improved its uh, air defense capabilities. Even more important than that, we have to uh, be honest with ourselves and, uh, and, and admit that the ability of Iran to really to overcome this kind of attack is becoming, I don't want to say easier, but they will find their ways. And we see that from the recent attacks in the Tanz and, and so forth, that they were able to overcome those problems. So I think that even if there will be an attack, then they will be able to rebuild the, the, the program. That's another problem that we have. So I'm not saying that there is no military option, but I think that it's becoming, becoming harder and harder to implement. And even if there will be some sort of execution, in the end of the day, the Iranians will find a way to rebuild the program. That's why I think that the, the solution lie in a political, uh, uh, lies only in the political route, meaning that we're turning back to JCPOA and finally, and this is maybe the only way that we can, uh, we are able to limit Iran's progress in its nuclear program. Final question. Uh, uh, I want to, uh, to talk with you about what we call the war between the wars. Uh, I want to, to know what do you think about uh, the navies, the Israeli navy's strategic campaign against Iranian uh, oil tankers. It was uh, published uh, in the foreign media. Uh, which has triggered Iran, uh, Iran's current aggressive responses, uh, uh, which peaked with a fatal drone attack on the Mercer Street. Was it uh, wise to do it? Uh, people call it war between the wars. I'm calling it war that will bring a war. And why? Because um, let's look really what happened in recent years because of these attacks. Well, very close to war with Hezbollah because we killed by accident the Hezbollah operatives in, in Syria. We were very close, to, I don't say to war, but with the conflict with Russia because of uh, 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 the Topolev being shot down. So I think first and foremost, we have to understand that the, the implication of that are severe. We are acting in Syria and each strike can lead to escalation. Now, this is one important thing that we have to remember. But even more important than that, let's look at what really the Mabam or the war between the wars really achieved? We, Hezbollah's uh, military might is in, is in its peak, is still um, uh, allowing or being allowed by the Syrians to get anything from the Syrian arsenal. The Iranian entrenchment is continuing in Syria. They're building strategic capabilities over there. So in that sense, I think that Israel really fell in love with, with the strikes in Syria, but it, those are tactical. They're not uh, strategic. And this is, a, a, again, when you're looking into the future, asking where we can continue from here, I think that the solution regarding Iran and transit in Syria is not a military one, it's a political one. For example, working with Turkey, working with Russia, undermining Bashar al-Assad. I think Bashar al-Assad's ability and the fact that he is still president, allowing Iran to, uh, to have this kind of an entrenchment is in Syria, and also Hezbollah, of course. So in that sense, I'm not sure that the Mabam is really the answer 
to the uh, uh, to the problems that we have in Syria. Now, I'll take it one step further regarding the naval activity. I think it was the wrong thing to do. Actually, we played in the backyard of the Iranians. Now, you have to understand that regarding the Iranians, one thing is striking them in Syria, and one the other thing is really striking the tankers in the Red Sea, because for them it's imminent threat on their house. It's in the backyard, and they have, of course, the upper hand militarily and, of course, in, in intelligence-wise. So actually, we got into friction with Iran that in, 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 a, in a state that actually we, they are superior than us. They can, they're controlling, uh, of course, the maritime route over there. They can attack each ship that they want to do. And actually, of course, Israel is really dependent on the maritime routes uh, bringing supply to Israel. So in that sense, I think it was the wrong thing to do, and I think it was the wrong thing to return back to this kind of, uh, of a campaign. So all in all, I have to say one important thing. I see that the Bennett uh, uh, government really duplicating uh, Netanyahu's policy towards Iran regarding the nuclear and also regarding the Mabam, the campaign between the wars. I think it's time to rethink about this policy and be honest with ourselves whether this policy really achieved the things that we wanted to, to be achieved using force in Syria and other places. And I think I doubt it. I think that we have to add more what we call foreign ministry, more diplomatic activity, making sure that we can really cause some change in Syria and elsewhere. Just relying on the missile being shot from the F-16 towards Syria, I think is the wrong thing to do. Major Reserve Danny Citrinowitz, it was very interesting. And I thank you deeply for joining us here in the on Israel in Al Monitor. And we will take a short break and be back uh, right after it with some final thoughts. Thank you, Danny. Toda raba. Toda raba. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of the award-winning media news site, El Monitor, where we cover the Middle East with some of the best reporters and columnists anywhere. And I'm excited to announce our new podcast, On the Middle East, where each week I will interview newsmakers from the U.S. and the region about the latest news and trends with additional commentary from our on-the-ground correspondents. Those of you who follow the region know that what happens in the Middle East doesn't stay in the Middle East. And to cite another great movie line, every time the U.S. tries to get out, the region pulls us back. Your time is valuable, so let me promise you this. You will learn something and you will never be bored because each week we'll be talking with and listening to those leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in this critical and fascinating region. So please subscribe to On the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Thank you for uh, staying with us. I think uh, what uh, Major uh, Citronowitz told us here can be divided into two he uh, three headlines. First, Netanyahu's Iran strategy and policy was a fiasco, a disaster waiting to happen that really happened. B, right now, Israel has to make a fast and crucial U-turn, uh, work with the international community and especially the American administration, not against it regarding trying to go back to the nuclear agreement with Iran. And finally, 
No need to worry from Hezbollah calling upon Iran to take over control of uh, Lebanon. On the vice versa, uh, Major Sifunovic said that uh, the whole Hezbollah strategy is the perfect contrary, not being responsible in Lebanon, and in the same time, being the protector and savior of the state. I hope you find, found it uh, interesting, and uh, I hope also to see you here uh, next week in uh, On Israel in Al Monitor. I'm Ben Kaspid from Tel Aviv. Take care.